I remember Mike, not his real name, but Mike came from a broken family, abused when he, at a young age, and started coming to youth group when he was in high school. Clearly, I could tell he was there because he needed friends. He needed social interaction. Pretty awkward guy. Um, but he was there every week. Had an incredible sense of humor. I remember one time we, uh, he was on a trip and we were in uh, downtown Chicago. You ever go to that restaurant? I don't think it's there anymore. Uh, Ed DeBevick's where they make fun of you in the restaurant. Oh, man, he was a target. I mean, he was a target because he was. He was incredibly awkward, and somehow the, the waiter picked up on that. Um, but, but he was one of our guys, you know, and, and he was regularly there, and he was, he was engaged. Had a stepdad that liked to berate him, even came to youth group one time publicly and started chewing him out in front of all the other students. And I had to take a step to aside and say, you can't, you just can't come in here like here and talk like that, nor should you be at home saying those things. Graduated high school, and like probably many of former students, I kind of keep up over social media and see what they're doing, what they're saying. Um, he's now uh, openly gay, um, and... Uh, speaks, does not speak as if he is very close to Christ in this time. I remember, I remember Joe, not his real name, also came from a broken family. One of his parents was an addict. And I remember trying to fill in some of the gaps for what he lacked for a father figure. And I remember uh, inviting Joe over to my house, dusting off the old video games and plugging those in and, and, and playing a round or two with Joe. I remember taking him uh, into what was going to be uh, the youth room, and it wasn't, it wasn't finished yet. They, they were still constructing it. They were building it, but they had, we had a concrete floor. And I remember finding, uh, making some makeshift uh, uh, hockey goals and getting a couple sticks, and we played floor hockey in the basement of the church before it was even even finished with uh, with Joe. Uh, spent a lot of time with him, uh, a lot of time drinking root beer at the local A&W. Um, if I look at Joe's social media accounts today, I would find out that he despises the church and thinks they're just after money, and they don't care about people, and he's incredibly antagonistic to God. And I think about those two guys and many others, and I think, what, what happened? Where, where did we go wrong as a church, as a youth ministry, as a youth pastor? And I know, and I know that there are many successes. I mean, I, I could tell those stories too. But I think about the ones that are far from Christ today. And, and they're the ones that weigh on me. And I end up praying for when I see something they're posting that seems very anti-Christ. I also know this. I know that whatever I feel, parents feel it even more deeply. And I know some of you feel it deeply. 
And I think about the verse in Galatians. Um, the one that comes to mind is uh, Galatians 4.19, where Paul says, um, I'll read it, I'll quote it here. Um, he says, My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Someone should have told Paul you shouldn't use childbirth because you have no idea what that's like. But, but, you get the point. My little children with whom I am in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. There is, there is something, there is something gut-wrenching, heartbreaking, uh, similar, Paul says, to childbirth to the parent to the pastor, to the mentor, to the youth leader who sees a student, someone they've invested in, a son, a daughter, who is not living for Christ, who is actually living in rebellion to Christ. There is something there that's heavy. And uh, so I want to talk about that today. Um, I want to talk about a verse and, and, and if you've been here this summer, you know uh, we're in this series called Beyond Fortune Cookie Faith. And the idea behind the series is there are these singular verses that sometimes we take and we memorize, which is great. But sometimes we don't get the full meaning of the verse. We don't compare scripture with scripture. And we take this one singular verse and maybe we don't get it the way we should get it. So here's a verse we're doing today. It's Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. I imagine many of you have heard that verse. You've memorized it. You know it as a parent. It's one of those, one of those verses. For the parent of a child who's not following Christ, I think it's a, it can be a heavy verse. And so here's what I want to do today. I want to talk about that verse and what it means. And then I want to transition and talk to you parents who carry a weight in your soul, who are in the anguish of childbirth, and, and maybe give you some hope, some, some encouragement, some illumination on how you can understand a verse like this. Here's the question I think we ask when we read that verse. Will good parenting create good children will good parenting create good children that can be a painful question to ask will good parenting create good children and the reason we ask this question is because of that proverb i think if i train my child this way does it guarantee these results and if i don't get these results does it mean that i was not adequate Let me start off by saying this, and I'm going to have more to say on that topic, but let me start out and say this. This should be helpful for some of you. Proverbs are not promises. They're general principles. Proverbs are not promises. There's not a guarantee that if you do A, you get B. They're general principles. Let me give you an example of this. In the same chapter of Proverbs, there's one that goes like this. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. Have any of you ever stood before a king? No, I'm really asking. Have you stood before a king? 
One, just the king of kings. Any earthly, you are terrible workers. Let me read it again, just so you know how bad you are. Do you see a man skillful in his work? At least he's talking about men, not women. Okay, Um, He will stand before kings. If you're skillful, you will stand before a king. And since you haven't, what does that say about you? You are not skillful. Neither am I, apparently, so I don't know what that, what that says. Um, but, but, but you get the point. If I take Proverbs and I go, A will lead to B every single time, I, I do an injustice to the Proverbs because that's not how they work. They're not promises. They're general principles. So before I talk about children that have gone astray, why don't I talk about what is required of parents in train up a child? Okay? I always want to take, I want to take each of the beginning words of train up a child and just take a look and see what are we getting at when we say train up a child. So, first of all, train. What are parents supposed to do? What am I to do? And the answer is train. Uh, it comes from the word chanic. Uh, if we can get that up, chanic means to train up or to dedicate. Now, I love this. I, I, I love that it's train up, dedicate, because part of what we do when we bring our kids to dedicate them to the Lord is we're saying, I'm here to train them up. Whereas some churches, and I'm not disrespecting anybody's background, but, but some churches you bring your child up because you're, you're doing something to them. You're, you're baptizing your baby or you're, you're doing something to the child. But, but in our child dedication, the way we understand it is, we, we are dedicating our children to the Lord, and what that means is we want to train them to know Christ, to follow Christ. A dedication is a training, and it comes out of that word, chanic, to train, to dedicate. Okay, so what are we supposed to do with our children? We, we train them up. By training, I think probably the author has in mind uh, Deuteronomy. We'll pull that up. A very familiar passage. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. <clears throat> you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and it shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Um, And you're all going to rush out to Hobby Lobby and buy some nice Christian art, I know, right now. I just gave you total permission with Deuteronomy to do that. Um, Sorry, husbands, fathers. Um, To train up our children, we, 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 we speak to them about Scripture. We talk about it when we're in the car, in the morning at dinner, at various times. We seize teachable moments and we, we train them. It's intentional. It's biblical. And this is what we know as parents. We know that if we don't train, there is a culture ready to train them up in our stead. We know movie directors are disciple makers. Musicians create disciples. The internet makes disciples of our children. And it's not in the way they should go, but in the way that they shouldn't go. If you let the world train up your child, 
they're going to be in trouble. Because the training is there. It's strong. It's great. And so they have to have training from us. If you give your kids unrestricted access to the internet at any time, the chances are you are letting porn train up your child. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's, that is the cultural influence on our kids. And so I, I feel like as I've looked at this verse, I've thought to myself, I want to be more intentional in my training. I want to have a plan. I want to fight for my kids and, and, and be intentional about what this looks like. And I hope you do too. I hope you go out of here, you with kids, and say, what's the plan? What's the training look like? It can be everyday common occurrences like when you go about your day, but I think it's also intentional too. And I think sometimes that's where I, I lack the intentionality. I, I, I get the in the car, bring up Christ. I think I've got that. But in some of the intentional places and other areas where, where we say, are you in the word? Are you reading it? How's your love for God going? What's that look like right now? Train up your child. Um, secondly, it says, uh, train up a child. So at what age are we supposed to train them? At what age? And the answer comes out of the Hebrew word nar, which means youth. It's the word nar. Didn't one of my kids call me nar when we, when, when you're like, what's your dad's name? Nar. Instead of Nile. Sorry for those. Yeah. Um, a boy, a lad, a youth. Um, at what age are you supposed to train them? When they're young, that's the age. Sometimes I hear people say, sometimes I hear people say, uh, well, you shouldn't indoctrinate them, you know, because they're young and they can't choose for themselves. And so you're just making them and bringing them up in this way. And, and it's like, yeah, yeah, I am. Because not only does scripture tell me, I know this is part of their, this is part of the character forming years. This is when they're young and we have to do it at this age. I've heard some people question uh, doing kids' ministries to the community because, well, their parents aren't there, and so you're trying to bring in the kids and, and tell them about Christ, and, and they're not getting it at home, so are you trying to go around the parents? Look, uh, on the one hand, I say parents want their kids here. They're, they're signing them over to our church. No one comes in here that their parent doesn't know that we're doing religious education in this place. But I think there's a point here. How much effort do we spend as a church on VBS, our fun club ministry during the year, which, by the way, is excellent. You know, we bring in 50, 60 kids straight from the school twice a month. I mean, it's an excellent relationship with the school. They let us do that. But we invest a lot of resources into our kids. And then we send them home to parents who are in darkness. Does it ever make you think that maybe we ought to be targeting the parents? Target may be a harsh word. Maybe we ought to be reaching out to the parents like we're reaching out to the kids and saying, we want your homes to be full of light. We don't want the light in your life to be two or three hours on a Wednesday night twice a month. We want your homes to be full of light. And maybe we need to have a VBS for parents. I have no idea what that would even look like. But don't you think? Don't you think? I, I, I'm reminded of, um, we'll call her Susan. And Susan came from a household where one parent was a devoted follower of Christ in church 
almost every Sunday. That was mom. Dad was very anti-Christian, anti-church, don't have time for it, I'm against it. You know the scenario, you've seen it. And Susan would come to youth group, I think primarily for the fun stuff. She kind of, she came most often when we did camping trips or big events. But she was there somewhat frequently. And I remember during a camping trip, I handed her um, a biography of a book that I was, I was using for the, for the teachings. And she was really wrapped up in the life of this, this Christian man who left a life of, of, of drug abuse. And, and he was, he, um, he had AIDS and, and he gave his life to Christ and, and Christ used him in all of that and brought him out of the, the, the addiction. And I remember she was reading it and I thought, maybe this is the moment where the lights come on and, and that this is what life is about, following Christ, leaving sin behind. And although I was very hopeful and prayerful, um, I, I, I don't see the fruit to this day. Again, when I check social media, I see her living a wild lifestyle that does not honor Christ. I don't know where her heart is and all that. Seriously, I'm not, I'm not the judge. But I see it and I go, what happened? And I want to say part of it is what you see in your parents, mom and dad. And, and, and do you follow your mom's faith or you, do you take your dad's? I think of Timothy. You know, um, Paul says, Timothy, you're following your mother and your grandmother. Apparently, dad didn't have the faith. So which way do you go in that situation? So I know, I know that in some sense, it'd be like, shut down kids' ministries, let's just reach parents. But I don't think it's an either or. I think it's both. And we're going to keep reaching out to kids strongly in this church, as we have been. But what does it look like to reach the parents? What does that mean? We train them when they're young. Um, and finally, one other part of this verse I'd like to call your attention to is, uh, train up a child in what? What kind of training do we give them? It's training in the way. The way. Cue memes, you, you teenagers, right? Sorry, the rest of you don't even understand that. The way. Um, uh, now, the way, the word is Derek. The word is Derek. Um, and it means way, road, distance, journey, manner. The idea is this is what it looks like to follow Christ. Join me on the road, kids, because I'm walking on this road myself. You train them in the way of Christ. So um, that presumes that you are on the path yourself. You ever had that moment where somebody calls the house and your kid picks it up, the phone. Hello? Oh, it's Aunt Margaret. She wants you, Mom. And Mom says, tell her I'm not here. Mom's not here right now. <laughs> and that's the end of the conversation. Um, you're, you, are, you are training your kids. You are showing them the way they should go. And in those little moments, those are the opportunities to show your character, your integrity. It's the small moments. It's a dad that says, we're going to prioritize church. Get up in the morning, kids. Get dressed. We are going. Because dad says this is important. This is the worship of Almighty God. That is the way. We show them the way they're supposed to go. And it assumes that we're walking in it. And not just telling them how to do it.
I have a son in driver's ed. I'm not going to talk about you, Derek. Don't worry. And do you know that when your kids go to driver's ed, they are told to do things that you yourself do not do? Like, like obey the speed limit? Don't follow so closely the person in front of you that's driving on, on Highway 32 and seems to think it's a 25-mile-an-hour zone instead of 35. But you want to go 45 yourself because you need to get where you're going. And there's never a cop on there. Do you know that this happens to you and you begin to feel the hypocrisy coming upon you because you don't want your kid to drive fast, because you don't want them to die and yet you yourself take those actions that don't show them the way. I'm saying this is how we live. And I hope it is convicting. And I hope you do look at your life and say, what things do I model that are so out of step with the way we should go? Um, now, uh, the way. Um, th- th- there's, a, there's a Jewish commentary on this text. It's the Masoretic text. And if you looked at that, if you looked at that, it would say, uh, the way is the way of Enoch. This is just a little side note here. The way is the way of Enoch. Now, there's two different Enochs in the Bible that are notable. One is the son of Cain, not talking about him. One is the son of Jared, who is the father of uh, Methuselah. Remember him? He's the oldest guy in the Bible, 969 years, and he died. Methuselah. Methuselah's dad was Enoch, and it says of Enoch, he walked with the Lord, and then the Lord just took him. Just, just, just took him home. I think we have the verse in Hebrews where it talks about it. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. He was not found. Can you, can you imagine that day? Where, where's Grandpa? He's gone. He's just gone. He, he, he walked out the door one day, and he did his normal prayer thing with the Lord. He, 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 was, he was spending time with God, and then he was just gone. He didn't come back from it. We, we walked his path. We looked in the bushes, and we can't find Grandpa. He was gone because the Lord had taken him. And now before he was taken, he was commended for having pleased God. Do you know what? Um, Methuselah is the grandfather of a guy named Noah who built a big boat. Which means Enoch was the great-grandfather of Noah. Can you imagine Noah having these conversations about great grandpa who walked with the Lord and it was so, he walked with him so closely, he didn't even die. God just took him. God spared him from dying and Noah said, God is a God who spares people from dying. I'll build the boat. I don't know if that's how it all went. I have no idea. But, but I can say that by faith, Enoch lived his life and it went down and it hit his great grandson, Noah. And Noah followed the way. And so, um, in Proverbs, uh, when, when Jewish people would ask, what is the way they should go, they would say it's the way of Enoch. And one of the reasons they would say the way of Enoch is because en- Enoch's name, um, if you put it in English, is Chanak, which sounds a lot like Chanak, train. Train and Enoch sound very close. So I want to train my kids in the way of Enoch. I want to train them. In, towards the way of the one who is himself trained and dedicated to the Lord. Now, I want to I change focus here. Um, oh, I'll say one more thing. Um, can, can I say it like this? When you think about what you leave your kids, maybe you have a college fund for your kids, maybe you're saving up that inheritance, and, and, and you're going to leave your kids with, with, a, with a sum of money. Remember this. 
the greatest thing you can pass on to your kids is your faith. And it's theirs to take or not. I suppose their inheritance is also there to take or not. I'm guessing they're going to take it, though. Oh, just, just a guess. But, but it, it's there, and you're offering it. Inheritance, faith, and, and the inheritance is nothing compared to the faith. Offer your faith. It is the greatest thing you can leave them. All right. Can I address parents of, of children who are not following God? Let's take up that last part of Proverbs. Um, when he is old, he will not depart from it. Maybe for some of you, your child has departed from it. What would I say to you? I'd say six things to you. These are applications. Things you sh- three things are things you should think, and three things are things you should do. Okay? Six things in total. What should you think if your child's not following the Lord? A. You ought to think that no parent is perfect except God the Father. No child is perfect except God the Son. This is John 8, 28. Jesus says it like this. He says, um, I, um, I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father has taught me. The Father taught Jesus what to say, and he only said what the Father wanted him to say. So no parent is perfect except God the Father. No child is perfect except God the Son, which means... All of us in here that are parents are imperfect parents. I'm in the same category you're in. We're all imperfect parents. We all fall short. And in some sense, you can say then, I did my best. I trained the best that I could. And I can leave the rest with God. Because I am imperfect like everybody else. On the other hand, you might say to yourself, I made some major failures as a parent. I can point them out. I know what they are. I know what I did. I know what I didn't do. I know where I didn't invest. I know perhaps even where I sinned against my child. And then you call up your child and you humble yourself and you say, I am so sorry. I will never forget a young man who was getting married and going through premarital counseling who said, my father abused me. I said, have you ever talked about it with him? He says, no. I mean, it stopped when I got older. But when I was a kid, I remember. I said, let's, let's have that conversation. Let, 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 let's, let's get this out there. And he said, oh, I've already talked to him. He denies it ever happened. How, how do you move forward if you don't face what's happened? And so part of this is we are all imperfect. Some of us maybe need to show the humility to make the phone call. Some of you parents of kids right now need to show the humility when you make a mistake. You know, when you do that thing, when, when you tell your, your child to lie for you on the phone so Aunt Margaret doesn't know you're there, you need to go back and say, I was wrong. I shouldn't have lied. I shouldn't have had you lie for me. Forgive me, please. And you say, well, I'm the parent. I shouldn't have to, I shouldn't have to get down on their level and do that. How else do they learn humility if they don't see it from you first? Do you want your child to grow up proud with pride? and arrogance, and I will never say I'm sorry, I'll never admit that I'm wrong, you do it first. No parent's perfect except God the Father. No child is perfect except God the Son. So we also can know that with our kids, none of them are perfect. They're all going to make mistakes. They're all going to wander astray. You know, when a, when a child, let me tell you this, when a child has to own their own faith, there is a good chance they will take some bad paths on their way back to the right path, Right? 
They're going to test some things out. They're going to test out their beliefs and see what's true and what's not. They're going to doubt-proof their faith. But it's going to take some time. And it may involve some heartache. But they're not perfect. None of our children are. And so when you see someone else's son or daughter, and, and, and they look great, and, and they're going to a great college, and they got a great job, and everything looks just wonderful, know this. They're all imperfect, too. And you may not see the imperfections, but they're there because we all got them, as do I. Secondly, what I would say you should think about, um, Jesus predicted his kingdom would cause division between parents and children. Here's Jesus' words. Don't think I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Now you know why daughter-in-laws and mother-in-laws don't get along. It's all Jesus. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Um, Jesus predicted that his way would divide families. There's going to be kids that say, I don't want to live a life of self-denial. I don't want to follow Christ. The cost is too high. I don't know that I believe that stuff. It seems so old-fashioned. It's going to create rifts in the family. You're going to have parents that say, I'm done with it. I'm just done with it. And kids that say, oh, why don't my parents believe? You know, It's going to go that way because Jesus said it would. He came to bring a sword. And maybe you felt the sword in your own family. So you can tell yourself, That's, that happens. Because Jesus said it was going to happen. And that same passage is the life that talks about living, taking up your cross and following and living a life of self-denial. Um, and then uh, next, I think we also need to remember that God plays a major role in the calling of our children. He plays a major role in the calling of our children. Here's a famous passage from Acts. Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. Everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. So the promise is for your children, and it's for anyone who God calls to himself. So I want to leave room for the calling of God on my kid's life. It's not all on me. It's not all on you. There is a calling of God. There is a work of God where he works on your kid's hearts in a way that you never could. And he calls them to himself. Do you leave room for God's calling? Or is it all on you? If it's all on you... That's, gonna, that's, a, that's a heavy load. That can bring despair if it's all on me to make sure my kids believe. But if it's God who calls, I can lean on him and I can still do my best as a parent and leave the results with God. He calls. That's what I would think about when I think about uh, Proverbs 22. Let me tell you what I think you ought to do, though, if your child is not following the Lord. What should you do? What actions can you take? Um, first of all, you ought to love unconditionally. You ought to love unconditionally. Some parents, and I've talked to these parents, they think that withholding love will show their child they need to change the error of their ways. I mean, these are adult children, you know. 
I, I know one that took up a uh, cocaine addiction. He was part of the youth group too. Don't come to my youth group, all right? Um, no, no. I've got, I've got good stories too. I've got good stories. You've, you've heard them before. Um, I know this young man who took up cocaine addiction. And, uh, and I know the father was like, I'm just, I'm not going to call him. I'm not going to talk to him. He is out. Because I don't agree with this lifestyle. And I'm like, I don't agree with it either. My heart breaks with you for him. But don't cut him out. Because you're a godly role model in his life. Love unconditionally. Love him. He needs you. He needs to know he can, he can come back to you. He's the prodigal son and the father's still waiting in the doorway. And you're the father in the doorway. Don't withhold that love. I, I, I know that sin does create risks between parents and kids. I know, I know kids sometimes separate themselves from their parents. I, I get all that, but the door's open. You can come home. We're here. Love unconditionally. Secondly, pray powerfully. Pray powerful and effective prayers. You might say, what do I pray? I'll tell you what to pray. Pray that God would surround your child with godly friends. Wouldn't that be great if, if your son or daughter ended up in a job where they had all these Christian people around them and they met a Gideon on the way and the Gideon gave them a body? You know, you know what I mean? Like, this is what we talk about, right? We talk about these divine appointments where I was just doing my thing and I met this Christian and they imp- impacted me. Pray for those appointments. That God would surround them with godly people. Wherever they're at, you pray that God would break their heart for him. You pray, you may even decide to pray a dangerous prayer like, God, do whatever it takes. And if you pray that prayer, you have to know that whatever it takes might be really, really ugly. You ought ought to know that going into it. Father, do whatever it takes to save their soul because they're heading for eternal destruction. You pray powerful prayers. You enlist your friends to pray powerful prayers. And then you watch God act on your behalf. And then finally, the last thing you can do is you keep modeling your faith genuinely. You keep living the life following Christ. Don't waver from the path because your life is on display. You are Christ in that sense to your child. So keep living the life. Be genuine. Be humble. Be considerate. Be compassionate. Don't be pushy. Don't be hateful. Don't be spiteful. Don't be bitter. Don't be all those things that turn people off to the church. Live like Christ. And may it be genuine. And may you go out and walk. And go on a long walk. And may God just one day take you home like Enoch. So that the story is told to the great grandson, perhaps Noah. Hey, Enoch, great-granddad, was just taken. He was there and then he wasn't. I'll say one last thing to you today. Um, Jesus said there is a broad way and a narrow way to live this life. There's a broad way and a narrow way. And only the narrow way leads to life. If you've never taken a step to walk on the narrow way and to follow Christ, I'd invite you to do that today. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes.